0: Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. I'd like to welcome everybody to the 40th. Uh, podcast of the Santa Cruz guitar players forum and today we are beyond fortunate to have Charlie Raw with us. Um Charlie's an up and coming flame. I can't believe we he's even talking to us. Um but uh I'm seeing so many things that he's doing and playing and things and listening to his work is really phenomenal. So Charlie, welcome. Uh I'd read your autobiography I'd read your I'd read your discography but it would probably take about way too long i would be tired at the i would be tired at the end of it and then but i will say what's up with uh, the julian lodge picture
1: oh uh, <laughs> oh I've, wow uh,
0: I've, <laughs> wow <laughs> I, i've
2: yeah I've, I've met julian before uh just through calling circles uh you know just met him, and him. i don't i don't really you know know him personally that well uh we've just run into each other a few times uh i'm a huge fan of his work um he's uh i believe he heard some of my st- i've done some videos for callings and i remember when i met him i, I think we were talking about that um so we just sort of run into each other every now and then and um i was at big ears with cornelia Edie and uh julian was doing an artist talk that was fantastic it was him and chris davis who's another cool. musician that i really love uh um, so, you know, me, Lisa and Conchetta, the violinist in Cornelius band, um, the three of us went to that artist talk. So I just, you know, was saying hi to Julian and I noticed he was wearing a, a really cool watch, uh, which is uh, something I I'm a so- somewhat amateur watch collector. Uh, so I, I was just like, Oh, by the way, man, like what's that watch? And it was this super cool, uh, I wish I could, have he was, he was in a rush obviously to get to all kinds of different stuff, but, um, it was his grandfather's watch. He said, uh, made by a watchmaker, a Swiss watchmaker, and Mercier. And I also have one of their pieces in my collection. But um, so we were just kind of talking about that. And uh, we thought it'd be fun to just get a quick picture of the watches we were wearing at the time. So, yeah, it was it was a nice nice to catch up with him. I, I was lucky enough to catch uh, two of his shows. I saw his trio and uh, him play with John Zorn. Wow. And as always, he's just always an inspiration.
0: Yeah, it, it, we don't see him out here at all. You know, he, he's out here very, very rarely. And yeah and uh the rooms are small yeah you, know, yeah you know so it's impossible to get in yeah, yeah just but uh can't wait to see him live you know? oh yeah he's
1: fantastic yeah can't wait i gotta say my wife would probably be so much happier if i collected watches rather than <laughs> probably wouldn't save much money but i would imagine there'd be a great savings in space yeah it takes up a lot less room <laughs>
0: well that's a new york that's a new york uh, issue though Oh Um, yeah. yeah. Are you in, are you in Brooklyn? Where are you at? Uh,
2: I actually, I'm in Astoria Queens. Now I was in Brooklyn for years, but uh, we got a lot of heavy rainfall last year uh, and I'll keep the short story or the story short, but um, it was raining really hard for a few days. And I woke up one morning and I was like, damn, that rain, it's really loud. It almost sounds like it's in my room. It (laughs) was in my room. Uh, So I, I sit up, uh, and at my last apartment, uh, I had because uh, during the pandemic, I the only way I was able to stay afloat was doing production and online session work or, or session work, uh, you know, transferring files and stuff. So I had this recording setup that I've been using the past couple of years, and I had that set up directly across from like you know where I I sit up in bed, and there's water just pouring from the ceiling onto my recording desk, like where all my monitors, my hard drives, my like everything. So luckily, I think I woke up right when it started, and also luckily my laptop was closed, um, so, wow. so my computer would have been completely destroyed. Wow. Um, so it was pour- – like water was just pouring from the ceiling on all my stuff. I unplugged everything, like, you know, got it onto the bed, and like I didn't lose anything. Uh, and 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 I do have uh, – I have insurance on all of my gear, but still uh, it – it was terrifying. So after that, I, I was like, all right, I can't stay here. I'm not going to chance this happening again. They're like, Oh, we'll, we'll fix it. I was like, yeah, I bet you will. Yeah, I'll bet, <laughs> bet you do an amazing job fixing this. Yeah. So yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I just put out like a, you know, a little note on, on my social media. Like I got to make an emergency move. Is anything open? And um, luckily, uh, I used to live in Harlem and I was roommates with uh, Oscar Hagdal, amazing drummer and Martin Doiken, who's an amazing bassist. And, hmm and all three of us are really good friends and we all used to have a place in Harlem before we moved years ago and uh Martin was actually looking for a roommate so now he and I are roommates again in uh, Astoria which is fun so yeah i'm in Astoria queens which is uh yeah it's a nice neighborhood a lot of good food good access to the city so
0: i, I can't imagine a more terrifying thing to wake up to
2: oh yeah it, it, and uh, i mean what I what it it's, crazy. It's,
0: that's that's like a, a donovich you know
2: Oh yeah. No, it was, it was one of those things where like, I, I'm one of those people that goes through scenarios in their head, you know, just like, what would I do if this happened? What would I do? That was not one of them. <laughs> you know, like what if rain starts pouring through my ceiling while I'm asleep? No,
0: like yeah. I, I mean, luck, <laughs> no like, plan. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I'm just glad I was home, you know, like, cause oh. everyone else was asleep. Uh, but um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I moved all of my stuff out of that room into the living room uh and i was still looking for a place while i was like sleeping on the couch in the living room of that apartment and i was still working so i was like i remember i was playing at uh rockwood music hall I was just backing someone up to in a sideman gig and my roommate texted me a video and it was happening again in that room like water was pouring out oh god and uh, i had moved all my gear out but i still had you know books and stuff in there and i was like can you please get my books out of there <laughs> so i can at least still read <laughs>
1: Isn't it strange that we all have plans for like the zombie apocalypse and yet we don't anticipate things like leaky roofs? (laughs) No,
2: it's totally, absolutely true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, there'd be some PTSD associated with that. I I don't know if I'd go to sleep again for a while until I was insecure with it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So it it sounds like you grew up in New York.
2: Um, I. I actually, I was born in Virginia. um, And when I was really young, like four years old, my family moved to Alabama. So that's actually where I grew up. Really? Um, Yeah. Um, So I grew up there. And then when I was a teenager, um, my family moved back to Virginia. um, And that's where I went to uh, high school and conservatory. But then I dropped out of conservatory and moved to Nashville, which is where I got started doing session work. Uh, And then I came to New York. So I've been in New York. This is my 12th year in New York. Um, but yeah, as a, as a kid and a teenager, I was, you know, bouncing around the Southeast.
0: Don't you like the kid thing, Ted? Yeah. yeah. It's 12 years, 12 years in New York. And I don't know how many years in Nashville and I feel, you know, I'm just going, God, when did he start when he was two? I mean, what? No, <laughs> no,
2: actually. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 13, actually. Um, I, I before that, I was playing clarinet and saxophone in jazz groups uh, when I was, uh, you know, like in middle school and high school. But my dad is an amazing guitar player, and he kind of got me started, taught me how to play, and it just kind of took off from there.
0: So your parents were real supportive of what you're doing and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, yeah. They were, they were really supportive of me, you know, getting into music. Uh, I, I wasn't – I didn't really have a whole lot of interests outside of music when I was – even before I played when I was a kid, that was sort of – Uh, I liked listening to music, and and then when I got into it, I started playing clarinet because I was really into Duke Ellington when I was, like, an eighth, uh, like, or eight years old. Uh, Like, that was the first thing I heard because my mom was always watching sort of old, like, classic movies from the 30s and 40s. And uh, I immediately gravitated towards that entire aesthetic. I I thought everybody looked really cool. I thought the music was cool. And like, so uh, I started getting into jazz and I was like, I want to, I want to play that music. So I started playing clarinet and saxophone, but then I, my dad, uh, who was really into uh, sort of country and Western music, uh, he's from Massachusetts, but just sort of gravitates towards that aesthetic, that spacious kind of open Americana sound and uh, he's a really fantastic finger style guitarist and plays banjo and some other instruments so he he kind of got me into that into that sound and it was really funny because uh, I was really into I wanted to sound like my dad that like kind of wide spacious american sound but i i also was listening to you know like duke ellington and uh all these soundtracks from old movies and i was like trying to figure out how to get those together so that's what i was doing uh or what i was trying to do uh and then when i was uh in conservatory someone was like oh you must be a big bill frizzell fan and i was like who's bill frizzell and then i heard <laughs> it and i was like whoa who is this guy <laughs> like uh so then obviously that's when i found out about Frizzell I instantly became a fan he's also one of my my huge influences and favorites it was just funny because everyone thought that like uh you know that that's what got me there and I was like wow this guy sounds like my dad if my dad liked jazz
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's I think when I hear from a lot of musicians and things like that if they had supportive parents um and they had a path you had a path right from the very beginning I mean, yeah. it sounds—it sounds like that. It didn't sound like there was anything else going to get in the way, or you know, it, you weren't going to find any. You didn't—you didn't need a diversion of a sidetrack because you had plenty to do, in that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I had the luxury of not being really good at anything else, also.
0: <laughs> so,
2: that—that—that <laughs> that, that helps. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, I don't see how that can possibly be true. <laughs>
2: challenge accepted
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it's interesting that as as as, as being so young that you were influenced by this uh older music duke ellington i mean i'm i'm trying to think of whether my kids have even ever heard duke ellington uh i'm sure they have by now but i mean they certainly didn't while they were growing up challenge Uh, on yeah. <laughs> well, I
2: mean, uh, you know, again a big a big reason for that is uh <clears throat> like I said my my mother is, you know, it was and is really into that, you know, classic age of cinema um and I I grew up either watching those movies or just walking around the house as a kid and she was watching those movies. And uh yeah, that's that's where I I first started paying attention to the music. And it might have, I don't remember, it might have actually been my mom who recommended specifically, uh, like, maybe, I remember my first cassette tape was a Duke Ellington cassette tape. It was uh, the uh-huh. At The Cotton Club record. And uh, obviously, I didn't buy it because I was, like, <laughs> eight. So, like, <laughs> uh, so I know my mom bought me that cassette, uh, but I can't remember if I had asked, if someone had told me about it, or if I had asked about it. Uh, but in any case, it's directly my mom watching those movies is the direct link to why as a small child, I was interested in that music. Uh, wow. so it kind of took off from there. And then, um, you know, my, my dad was always listening to, uh, he, he's a huge beach boys fan. So that was always on in the car. And I remember really liking the guitar sound in that I, I liked that it was clean and I liked the reverb and uh and obviously I love the melodies and the songwriting and stuff so that was another thing that I remember early on being like oh that's cool I like that
1: wow it sounds like you had a great exposure to a bunch of music when you were young that that's really ideal yeah absolutely yeah definitely
0: and and it happened in Alabama
2: yeah and uh, interestingly <laughs> enough uh, my parents are actually both from New England so my dad is my dad's from Massachusetts and my mom is from Connecticut we were only in the south in Virginia and Alabama cuz my dad who's retired now uh, was an anglican priest so uh he got moved to different churches and we for whatever reason when i was younger were always in the south uh so that that's the only reason I was there (laughs) so it's it's funny because I all my friends joke with me about this because I was born in the south and I lived there my entire life almost but I'm not exactly a southerner so yeah it's it it was an interesting collision but also a lot of that music uh was really huge for me so I uh Huntsville Alabama is where I lived as a kid which is I don't know like not I I'm not exactly sure how far but really close to Muscle Shoals where all yeah, of those yeah. records were made. So um I remember, you know, I remember hearing obviously country like pop country music that was on the radio, but also like going out to diners and stuff with my family where they would be playing the older stuff like Patsy Cline and and you know Dolly and Loretta and all of that stuff and I loved that music too. So that was a huge one uh that started that kind of was what combined with listening the the music in the old movies and hearing my dad play acoustic guitar and sort of folk Americana stuff, and then hearing that older country music, um, I was really into trying to combine those before I really wow. knew what I was doing. And then when I started taking lessons, uh, it became easier, obviously, because I started to know what I was doing. It was like, oh, I know how to get at that a little bit better.
0: Did did um, you know how to read all the, already by the time you got to taking lessons?
2: i did because i i took band uh uh when i was playing clarinet and saxophone i knew how to read from that yeah 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 Yeah.
0: big big i'm just learning to read now at at the ripe old age you know but i'm just learning to read it's it's, it's fascinating it it really is great
2: i mean it's it's yeah it's it's cool i'm glad i know how to do it it's a useful tool but i i've never been a huge advocate for saying that you you need to exactly. It doesn't even really come up that often uh, at work-wise. Um, a lot of yeah. the sideman work that I do, um, you know, a lot of singer-songwriters uh, who are self-taught and write great music don't know how to read music. Um, a lot of them, I, I mean, a fair number of people don't even really know how to make a chart. They, they just have an idea for a song, um, and then they I mean, sometimes I don't even hear the music at all. Like sometimes I get calls from the artist or the producer and I just go to a studio and they're like, I want to do this and I want you to do something. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot <laughs> of the time there's no music and inv- no written music involved, but on the other hand, it is nice that if someone's like, I'm going to email you, you know, a PDF of some notation and that's what I want you to do. It is useful that I can, but uh, I, that doesn't come up nearly as often as someone being like, I don't know what I want, and I don't know what I want you to do. I want you to help me figure that out. And then I'm like, what about this? No? Okay, what about this? Like, that's usually uh, what I do. And, and then with my own music, I don't notate any of it. Uh, I, mm. I just uh, – one of the reasons why is I feel like if I come up with an idea I like and I can't remember how to play it, Uh, if it's not good enough for me to remember, why would anyone else? So I kind (laughs) of figure, uh, uh, if, if I come up with an idea, I (laughs) I uh, I usually try to come up with something and see if I remember it the next day. And if I do, I'll make like, you know, a little phone demo or something. I only write it out if I need to play it with someone else, but, uh, like I play in a duo, a regular duo with Cameron Mizell, who's a fantastic guitarist, uh, and a good friend of mine. And he's, he's much more adept at, uh you know, reading and writing music. And uh, I mean, I used to try to write them out, but I would just make so many mistakes when I do it. I just don't anymore. And I'm like, all right, here, Kim, here's a voice memo. Like you can figure out like.
1: <laughs> I, I think that is in many ways so very comforting for those of us who don't really read music and just kind of play along. It's, we have always felt deficient because I wasn't a, a, a highly enabled uh, sight reader.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm actually, I'm a terrible sight reader. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty good at, at reading music. If I have time to look at it and practice it, it's, it's, and like I said, it is useful to be able to do that. Um, but as far as if you just put it in front of me and you're like, go, I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like, uh, I think it's because I learned how to play uh, horns, you know, a clarinet and saxophone. So reading music on that, like a piano, a note is a note. Like, so you learn how to read it and you're like, there it is on guitar. There's like two or three different places you can play almost every note. And it, it, like, I, n- I never really learned uh, position type playing. Um, and I, I never really did that kind of practice with like scales and knowing positions and things like that. So sight reading is really hard for me. Cause I'll, I'll look at it and be like, Oh, okay. Like I'll start playing. And then I'll all of a sudden be in the wrong part of the neck and like, I need to be somewhere else. And so uh if I have enough time to look at it it's okay but yeah I'm a terrible sight reader. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I I think that that probably keeps you more in the moment though.
2: I, I think it, yeah you
0: you really got to be present.
2: It, yeah, it, and it's yeah, I I feel I feel this way in general though uh with with limitations uh you know there's going to be pros and cons but I I'm personally a big fan of uh utilizing a limitation to an end. Um, where, you know, I, I mean, I could, you know, if I wanted to, I remember, uh, <laughs> oh, well, I'll say this first and then I'll, I'll tell a quick story. But um, if I wanted to, I know that I could really dedicate a large portion of my practice time to being a better sight reader. And depending on the work I was doing, if that was needed, I would, um, but it's not. So I don't <laughs> like, uh, and if if someone's like, oh, well, I have have a really cool gig, but it it requires sight reading. I'll just recommend one of my friends who's good at sight reading, and I'll stick to the stuff that plays to my strengths. Um, And on that note, uh, as I got older and learned more about Duke Ellington, he basically said the same thing. He said he he would write music that uh, plays to the strengths of the people that he wants to play it. Um, And he would say – there's an interview. I think it's on YouTube, actually, where um, he's saying, like, you know, even the best – you know, concert violinist soloist in the world, there's something they can't play. Everybody has got some limitation. Um, so I, you know, I think about that sometimes. And I remember when I was in conservatory, uh, I really wanted to, again, take the influence of the more classic jazz, uh, you know, uh, stuff like Jim Hall and and things like I was really interested in that. Um, and I wanted to use that as a template to sort of build off of in my own practicing. And they were uh, very, it was a pretty conservative university and they were more adamant about me studying bebop. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I don't like bebop. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) uh, I I mean, or I didn't, I didn't like it as a teenager. Um, I respect it and admire it now, but it's, it's just not my thing. I, I don't particularly like to listen to it. And I just don't, I can't play like that. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a nose in the air thing where it's like, oh, I could do it if I want, but I don't want to, I can't like, I do not have the technical ability to play like that, but I also don't care. So, uh, I remember the, the teacher was saying like, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, even if you're not interested in this now, it'll be a useful skill to have. Uh, so you should, if you're not going to do something, you should choose not to do it not uh, avoid it because you don't have the ability and I do think that's a valid point point. and if I did have the skill to play bebop I do think it would be an asset in a lot of situations but my response to him which I still hold up is there's so many interesting things I don't know how to do I think water skiing is totally badass the reason <laughs> I don't know how to do it is because I don't care so that's <laughs> sort of how I feel about that and I think that applies to reading music it's like you know, if it's something that was coming up a lot, and you you really wanted to do it, you would. You know, you'd work on it. Um, and if it's if it's something you're learning on the periphery because you want to have something to do with it, but it's not required, that's cool too.
0: I mean, it's, it's you know. something about it. Something about what you you said there really, I know, will ring true to a whole bunch of people. and that, you know, a lot of times as musicians. If we don't know how to play everything, we don't feel like we we feel like we suck. Yeah. You know, I mean, if we don't know how to play everything, and as I age, I'm finding out that, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to know how to play that. Yeah. You know, I want to know. I want to be better at what I do. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't necessarily need to send that energy in that in that direction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: I mean, And and I- applause for calling up somebody, calling up friends and saying. Hey, this is a sight read gig. You know, take it good. <laughs> you know, yeah. applause. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I mean,
2: I have I have a lot of friends. Uh, you know, uh I, I'm a very extroverted person and, and I feel like I meet a lot of people and I have a lot of friends who aren't, you know, and, and they're perfect for a lot of gigs I get called for and they do a way better job. So I feel like you know, it's probably better for everybody if I like <laughs> pass that information along instead of just falling flat on my face trying to play a kind of music that I've never practiced before. But I, I also think there's something to be said for uh, an approach to developing technique in a personal way as opposed to uh, an under, uh, I guess, a more understood way where I don't think that technique is one specific thing. And that's how it was presented to me. One of the other reasons I dropped out of school, because I really don't like this idea where it's like, you have to build technique and it was like used as a universal term. And I just don't really think that's true. I I think the technique each person has is the foundation they're going to build the way they play on. And I think technique should be as personal as creativity. So, uh, you know, a player like Derek Bailey is another guitarist I really love. And uh, he has very strong technique it's just his technique and there's plenty of guitar players they would hear it and be like what's he doing I don't understand it and it's like I mean I don't under, I like it and I don't understand it but I I think it's interesting because he clearly put so much time into making that technique um and that's more what interests me so I guess the way I look at practicing is I there's a way I want to sound and hopefully It's a distinct sound. I I really like the idea of people hearing me play and knowing it's me pretty quickly. That's that's what my hope is for what I work on. And uh, by doing sideman and session work uh, to make a living so I can do my own music, uh, my goal is to build the type of technique that can be distinctly my own, but malleable and have elasticity to fit into other people's zones. Um, and that's, that's sort of, I'm more interested in that. I I don't want to learn how to play like different styles of music. I just want to develop a technique that can be applicable in different styles of music. Like nobody's going to give me a call. because like, man, that guy can totally replicate the sound of whatever the people that do call me and are interested in having me play are like, well, I think (laughs) hopefully that this guy's going to pay attention and he's going to bring what he has into this context with reverence and to me, that's more important. And I feel like that's more what I think music needs. And I, I mean, Frizzell is a good example of that. He's somebody that is very uh, versatile, but he's got a thing, you know? And, and I know there's a lot of, you know, Frizzell critics that would say like, oh, he just does the same thing, which I always like fight very hard when people say that. But I love hearing Bill Frizzell actually as the sideman more than even his own music. Uh, and I love his music, but when he plays as a sideman, I think it's so cool that you know you hear him playing immediately. You're like, I know that, I know that sound. Like, but somehow it totally works in this completely different context. Because uh, I mean, I, I think it's important to listen to every style of music way more than it is to know how to play that style of music. If that makes sense, right. I want to listen to lots of different things and then bring that into the playing.
0: Make, makes complete sense and it, it's it's a it, I did a um, I did some work with the producer Joe Henry
2: oh I love Joe Henry he's one of my favorite songwriters Yeah. and that's
0: that's one of the things he said is that when he's bringing somebody in for a session that he wants to put different personalities I guess together yeah you no know, rather than saying I need a guy that that can shred like Eddie or something like that you know he just how do these people work together yeah, And yeah. and that's where it comes from.
2: Yeah, I know um, Adam Levy does some work with uh, Joe oh, yeah. Henry too. And, uh, and, and he's a friend of mine, also one of my favorite guitar players. Uh, and we're getting ready to, uh, in May, go to Austin. We're going to do a workshop down there and, and do some playing together. But uh, he's another uh, guitarist like that, you know, plays in all different kinds of contexts. But it's always him doing it. It's not him saying, oh, it's this kind of music. Let me go through my like arsenal of pedals and guitars and get that sound that that music needs. It's No, he shows up with what he feels comfortable with and he crushes it every time. And that's why everybody calls him because uh, he always does a good job and he is always himself. And he shows reverence to whatever kind of music he's playing uh, just through the respect of the music. Uh, so to me, people like that, um, I mean, Adam and, and Bill as examples and Joe, actually, I, I mean, Joe also like when he's working with other people and when he does his own stuff. Uh, I, I mean, uh, all three of them are actually, you know, people that I listen to and, and follow very closely for that reason. Yeah, right? I feel like that's that's way more. It's just way more important. Uh, Julian's another one of those people. I mean, like uh, basically everyone we're talking about, uh, some of the key factors are they know who they are. Uh, and because they know who they are, the world knows who they are. Uh, and I feel like there's a difference between that and, um, and just being able to flip switches and play any style of music. I, I don't want to be a robot, I want to be a guitar player. So,
0: yeah. Uh, wise beyond your years, sir. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Again, an- again another, another challenge. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a challenge Well, point, let me but, think of
2: the stupidest shit i can say yeah.
0: but 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 wise wise beyond your years in that case because that i then then there's complete satisfaction from every time when you when you show up you know yeah if,
2: hopefully yeah
0: if you're playing someplace you're you want to be there
2: yeah absolutely that's great yeah, i mean i don't yeah. think you should ever play music that's i mean that's another thing i don't, I don't think it's worth playing music you don't like uh I mean, I would do the same thing. I would call another friend of mine that likes that music. Uh, I feel like I've seen it too much. I think we all have, you know. If we see, uh, you know, an artist and they have like hired musicians, and it's very clear that the musicians don't really care about being there; they're just getting through the gig. I, I, I can't think of anything worse than that, uh, and I never want to be in that position ever. And I never would. I, I mean, I, I was actually just talking to a friend of mine earlier. If I'm gonna do something purely for money. There's a lot of things you can do for money that don't negatively impact other people. <laughs> so I don't want to be on stage insulting someone's music to make a couple hundred bucks. I think that's like the worst thing you can do as a musician.
0: <laughs> Boy, more of that. <laughs> Let's have more of that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all over that. Wonderful. Fantastic.
1: So it sounds to me like there's, there's, almost a, a social connection you make with, with other musicians. It's more than just um, a professional connection. It sounds like there's also a, a social connection. How do, you, how do you network? How do you get these gigs? I mean, do people send, me, send jobs to you because they say, oh, Charlie would be the person to play this, not me. Um, how does that all work? Uh, sometimes, yeah. A, a fair amount of
2: it is word of mouth um and uh i also i I just try to uh you know like if i if i'm playing somewhere i or if i'm if i'm playing or i'm just like seeing someone play and i like it i try to talk to them and just let them know that i liked it and then uh i try to stay in touch with people who seem interested in and staying in touch and um you know i follow people's uh, you know, follow what people are doing online or be it social media or email lists or or something like that. I just, I try to be engaging, uh, um, and I try to be active or actively engaging actually, uh, with other artists and not, not other art, not just other artists, actually. I try to just be engaging with people who are involved in the things that I want to be a part of. So, uh, I remember when I first moved to New York, uh, I was sleeping on a friend's couch and he was the only person I knew. uh, And I didn't have any connections and I didn't have any gigs. And I was like, well, how am I going to do this exactly? So one of the things that I did to get started, I always brought my guitar with me, even though I didn't have any gigs. And I would just like go to shows and then people would be like, Oh, you come in from a gig? And it'd be like, no, but hi, I'm Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) So I would just like find ways to like, Get people to talk to me if no, if I couldn't find people to talk to. Uh, but um, I remember I would just look up people that I liked, you know, because uh, there were a bunch of people playing in New York at the time, uh, that I was really into, uh, especially Mary Halverson, who's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Um, so I would see where she was playing and I would go, you know, see her play and I would talk to the people that were at the show, so not necessarily looking for networking per se, but just like, uh, I wanted people to know I was there. I wanted people to be aware that I existed. And I think that's the most important networking, actually, because at the end of the day, you need people to listen to your music more than you need to know other musicians if you want to build something uh, as an artist, or that's just my opinion. There's a lot of ways to look at it. But for me, it's important to let everybody around you know that you're there like announce yourself and be like hey i'm here i do this uh so i still i think it's really important to go see music when i have the chance i i like to go see music not just to support the artist but i want to meet the people that are going to see that music mm-hmm. uh, i want to know what the experience of a listener is for the artist that i admire so I can get an idea of how to approach it from the other side of being on stage. Um, I, I feel like uh, in order to, to try to build you know, a listenership um, for music that you write and that you perform, I, I wanna have an idea of what it's like to listen to that music, be it a recording or listen to it performed. Uh, and I feel like getting in that headspace is very important uh, and a big way to get in that headspace is just talk to people.
1: I don't think I've ever heard somebody express that opinion that you get to know the people who are enjoying the music and understand why they're enjoying the music in order to learn. Wow, I'm just I'm letting that float around my brain here. I mean, it's getting mixed up with the water skiing, playing guitar (laughs) thing. But I mean, it's just that's a really interesting perspective on it. I'm not even drunk yet. Just wait.
2: (laughs) Uh, but that 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 perspective uh goes back to something i hear a lot of people say it it's it's something i really disagree with but it seems to be a a a common um uh a common perspective on it uh i hear a lot of people say uh it's important to make you know be true to yourself just make the music you want to make you know make it make it for you first and uh i not it's hard to it's hard to really articulate this but um I disagree with that, not saying that I don't want to be true to myself or make the music I want to make, but I feel like it's completely useless for me to make music. The music that I make only exists so somebody else can hear it other than me. And it is very much part of my intention to make music that those people want to hear. the, what I try to balance by what I was just talking about is I want to be completely true and you know undiluted and, and just put out exactly what I'm thinking as a composer, but I do want people to accept it and be moved by it, and if they're not, that's not okay with me uh i i don't want to make music and just be like whether people like it or not i'm just gonna do it that's not it just isn't how my mind works it's not how my heart works it's not the kind of music i want to make and uh, a lot of my heroes are actually not even musicians i I take way more influence from the stuff i read uh because i really wish i was a writer but i suck at it so instead of writing i i sort of like write music a lot about the stuff that i like to read and a lot of those writers uh You know, particularly Anne Bronte, who's one of my favorites, if not my favorite, you know, her and Emily Bronte, they didn't even want to publish that stuff. Uh, And it became life changing for so many people, but they didn't care. Emily Dickinson was the same way, another one of my favorites. And it was just like they just got so much joy from doing it. And that was enough. Uh, And I'm just not that way. The only reason I'm doing this is because I want people to hear it and I want people to be moved by it. And if I'm going to do that, I really need to understand what people are thinking and how people feel. Uh, There's a lot of empathy involved in creating something that only exists to give to somebody. Um, And that goes beyond just doing what you feel like doing. Uh, So that's, it's, it's kind of like, almost like an anthropological study in some ways. It's just getting in the head of people who are around the music and the energy that you enjoy and then factor that in when you're writing music.
1: No, seriously, that's a very, very unique perspective from, from everything I've kind of heard. And that's why I'm, I'm just absorbing it here. Um, I've heard so many people say, oh, just do what you want to do, you know, and just, just pursue that to the nth degree and, you know, let people come to you and let them try and understand it. And then there are other musicians I've met who've like, uh, Oh, you know, I'm going to play whatever it is that that people are willing to pay me to play because that's what's important is getting that check. Yeah. But you're you're in a very interesting position there where where you're somewhere in between the two of them, not that it has anything to do with the check, but it has to do with with making sure what you're playing appeals to people on some level. Well, I, it's it's a very it's I like that that's really nice that's. I,
2: I think I think uh, another way to, to sort of get at that would be, you know, if you think of just pick somebody, somebody, you know, that's really amazing, somebody that you really admire and that you like. Chances are that person's going to be a good communicator. And really, that's all I'm talking about. I want to communicate. I don't want to talk at you. I want to talk with you. So I don't want to make music at you. <laughs> I want to make music for you if that makes sense. Someone who's, who's a conversationalist and an empathetic listener is going to be interesting. You're going to like being around them and you're going to want to hear what they have to say, but they're still going to be saying exactly what they think. They're going to be very genuine. They're going to be very original. They're going to be themselves. They're not going to be a people pleaser, but they want you to understand. Uh, I don't see the point for me personally. I'm not putting this on any other musicians, but I just don't see the point in making music that is hard for people. I think the way that I prefer to challenge people is I wanna put people in a place where they feel welcome and through being welcomed, they're invited to have a sense of wonder from the welcoming. I want people to go away thinking and being, you know, intellectually challenged in some way, but not challenged in a way that makes them feel less. I want the If you have a really I, I feel like it's when I walk away from a conversation with one of my many friends who's way smarter than me, and they're telling me about something I don't understand. I walk away being like, I really enjoyed that. And now I have so much to think about, you know, so much to consider. So they challenged me, but they didn't. Uh, they weren't. Uh, you know, intimidating me, they were just like, Let's talk about this. You don't understand it, cool. Let me try to explain it, and then I'll give you something to think about later. It's almost like you pull somebody in and then give them just enough to reach for as well. Or that's what I'm um, I mean, that's that's the goal, you know. Who knows? Yeah, exactly, uh, you know?
1: that's exactly what you've done for me with this conversation. <laughs> so I'm very
2: happy. All right, good. Well, that's that's a start.
1: If you can reach just one, you know. well, we. We should talk we should geek out a little bit on guitars and such because that's kind of what we're into um, sure sure well how,
0: how do we get him to santa cruz first of all oh uh, what's well. up how do we get him to santa cruz i mean uh, we got well, we, we have some great clubs out here yeah I,
2: yeah i've uh i've been uh i've you know i i go back and forth uh i was Going a lot before the pandemic, but I, I go back and forth a fair amount, uh, but usually to, uh, you know, the L.A. area and, and sort of surrounding areas just where I know people. Um, but I've, I've spent some time in the Bay Area uh, as well, um, and I've really just wanted to explore a little bit more of California. So I'm I'm up for whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually considering uh, booking a trip uh, possibly to the Bay Area or starting with the Bay Area pretty soon, maybe in a, a few months um yeah i would love to come out it's
0: first. time it, it, it's time it's summer it'll be nice and foggy and cold yeah. and you know sounds yeah that actually it sounds...
2: sounds fantastic that's my favorite weather <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's it's raining it's, it's misting it's been misty rain here all day today and my weather app says it's sunny you know but i'm i'm loving the, the gray and the, the the just the everything's a little bit damp and it's Twinkles and you know the oh, yeah. lights fantastic. Oh,
2: right. That sounds sounds fantastic. Yeah.
0: Is that okay? I, I know how to get into the, the the gear stuff. So is that a throat um uh, is that an Edwina, a throat trumpet? Is that the manufacturer? Uh,
2: uh ear trumpet.
0: Ear trumpet. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, that's yeah, it, that,
2: it is. It, it's an Edwina, yeah.
0: Yeah. Fantastic mics. Um I did some stuff with Jamie Stillway with those mics and
2: yeah, it, Jamie's great. you yeah, know, I love her playing.
0: Fascinating good 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 sounding stuff yeah yeah what look at that it's gonna go do something it's gonna be part okay. of it yeah. be... <laughs> um did you buy that from them or is there a new york dealer because i think you gotta um, buy it direct don't you?
2: i bought it i don't know if there's a new york dealer i bought it directly from yeah
0: them. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, really interesting little company Yeah. Yeah.
2: I love it. Uh, ever since I got it a couple of years ago, I actually haven't used anything else uh, for recording or live uh, for acoustic guitar. Yeah.
0: You just, you, so your acoustics aren't pickupped? Uh,
2: one of them is, uh, I have, um, so I, I endorse, uh, Collings guitars. So they built me two, uh, sort of small scale acoustics. The first one they made for me, uh, was one I, I wanted an all mahogany, what they call a baby one. Um, so basically a three-fourth scale OM, pretty similar to that, um, but it's all mahogany. And I had a, um, what is it, a trance audio amulet pickup installed in that one. So I used that one for a lot of the Sideman uh, singer-songwriter gigs and things like that. Uh, and I was using it, ex- it was the only acoustic guitar I had for a while until uh the end of 2021 the the seeds were planted at nam actually i was talking to mark Althans at uh the nam booth when i was out there and i was like man i really want like a dedicated solo guitar for the stuff that i'm working on and i've got ideas so we started talking about that and um they made me probably my favorite acoustic guitar i've ever played up to this point uh this um their parlor model but we we made a few like subtle tweaks to it and uh It's so it's mahogany uh, neck sides and back. Uh, I prefer Sitka to Adirondack spruce. Uh, I just like the sound of it, Um, and conveniently, it's way cheaper, so that worked out. So, uh, so it's uh, Sitka and mahogany, but then uh, they did their satin finish, which I'm a huge fan of um, for more of a dry sort of fundamental forward open mid range. Uh, and it's—I had them specifically set it up with silken steel strings from Labella, who I also endorse, uh, and they're pretty much the only strings I use. Just they're kind of low tension, and I play very lightly, so they're perfect for the way that I play. And the way silicon steels combine with the parlor is just amazing.
0: It is. Uh, it, it, it's a great combination. It, yeah. You don't think about it very much, but but it's a great combination. I, yeah. I, I, I just heard somebody do it out here, and it was oh really... cool. Really, really, really a cool thing. So it doesn't sound like you have a lot of guitars.
2: Uh, no, I have four. Uh, I have two electrics and two acoustics. Can, yeah, just,
0: the... just like Eric. I mean yeah, Eric's, yeah. Eric's guy. Two, two acoustics. You know, it's like yeah. you'd think he'd have like thirty. You know, and it's like yeah. no, I no, this is this is fine. This is enough for me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I I feel like uh, the. I have two electric guitars, one from Chris Fersaghi and one from Island Instruments, uh, who's uh, a one-man operation, Nick DeLisle in Montreal, and uh, Chris is in Pflugerville, just outside of Austin. And uh, both of those electrics are are also custom-made with um, just, like, different things that I wanted. Uh, So the the two, you know, two electrics I have are basically, um, the Fersaghi has a really fat neck that I wanted. Um, and it has a really flat radius fingerboard, which I like. Uh, but it's made out of maple and swamp ash, uh, the body, because I wanted this sonic sort of palette of a fender, but I wanted the feel of a vintage Gibson. Because I love the sound of fenders, but I really hate how round the radius is. Uh, it's just not very comfortable to me. Uh, and I love the way Gibson neck feels, but I really don't like how they sound when I play them. Um, so I wanted like to sort of combine those. And we got Pete Biltoft, uh, who I believe is still in Hawaii to hand make these two Charlie Christian pickups, just identically wound pickups in the neck and the bridge. Wow. Um, So it has this really fat, but still very single coil uh, sound. Uh, And I love that guitar. I use that a lot. It's very good at like cutting through a mix and, you know, for rock gigs, uh, if it's going to be more of an overdrive or distortion gig, it's great for that. It's really great with a volume pedal when I have to cover pedal steel parts, has a nice twang to it. Um, And then the island is, it's like this big, it's tiny. And the main reason I wanted it is because I wanted something I could fly with and just not have any problems. You have to be a real asshole to not let me take that on a plane. I mean, it's like smaller than a violin case. So uh, luckily I have no problems, but uh, it's, that one's really cool because it's a, um, a Peruvian walnut neck with no truss rod. It's just like a club basically <laughs> a really fat, like, you know, really fat again, flat radius with a, uh, I think it's like a carbon carbon composite uh, fingerboard so it's just really it doesn't move that's going Uh, nowhere yeah (laughs) yeah and i and and i I like just a flat setup too i don't like any relief in the neck um so it's really great for that and uh that has a really cool uh gold foil humbucker of just one pickup in the neck and uh you can just get a lot of different it's very microphonic almost sounds like uh like a piezo at some points. Mm. Um, But I use that one a lot for singer songwriters that are more clean, Um, like less rock, more like folk and Americana stuff. It's just got a really nice, like sort of sparkly, but also has some bite to it. Uh, And every now and then uh, I'll kick some overdrive on it. And it just sounds more sort of like a, like a sixties, like dirty guitar, which is really cool. So, you know, all the guitars I have serve specific purposes, um so i'm not not so much a guitar collector as i am i just need the tools that i need to get something done and at this point i don't really see myself getting another guitar uh, other than uh nick is building me a bass uh a miniature bass to match the miniature guitar he made me which i'm super excited about
1: <laughs> uh, what scale length are you gonna try and do on a miniature bass
2: i i'm like kicking myself for bringing the bass up as i was saying that because i <laughs> don't remember any of the details about it That's okay. <laughs> uh, That's <all> right. <laughs> but but it's it's gonna be about that big bro. okay like, well wow. like yeah so it's uh i I think it's i i'm pretty sure it's a half scale like basically a half scale of a normal bass wow um um, but he's he's made them before and they sound fantastic and we we kind of messed with that by putting a a a p bass pickup but in the neck um because i like to play uh sort of like a lot of muted i i i pretty much almost never play bass live but i've been doing it a lot for session work and i i wanted something to really dial in the sound uh, for that so uh, he's making it sort of like more of a warm thumpy like kind of dark setup base. so after I have that I mean unless one of my guitars breaks or somebody steals it uh, <laughs> uh, I think I, I think I'm good <laughs> the
0: the the, uh, um, the Charlie Christensen's are really low output pickups yeah uh, is, the, uh, is the is the the other one a really low output pick the gold foil humbucker is that really low output as well um you don't know
2: yeah it's not it's not particularly hot uh, uh i wouldn't say uh i mean neither neither one of them are uh you know they never really need to be cranked but they're definitely on the lower side they're not you know they're right. not super hot pickups yeah,
0: yeah i think BitLuff uh charlie's come in at like 3.4 or some yeah, cra- yeah. crazy little numbers way down yeah. there you know
2: yeah and they they are a little bit different i mean they're not they're not the exact uh you know dimensions of the they're not like replications of it it's more like his take on the style of it
0: Um, because nobody wants the big bar in the back of the guitar
2: (laughs) (laughs) a a big screw in the top of it yeah Yeah.
0: i don't think we need that (laughs) yeah what strings what strings on electric
2: um i really like the labella vapor shield uh strings yeah those are really cool and then and every now and then for sessions i'll use um uh I really like uh for certain sounds uh, especially on the Frasagi with the single coils. I like the just normal 11 uh, gauge Tedarios just the nickel wound's just to, if I want like a really bright uh, especially for the the country stuff with a volume pedal or something. Um, yeah, those get the job done fine. I actually like those more than the XLs or whatever the um I'm the not sure ones. is that what they're called.
0: Yeah, yeah there's or the a new there's a the, new whatever there. the
2: fancy ones are. Yeah. Uh, I tr- I tried them out and I I liked the yeah the normal ones are fine they die pretty quick i guess i just have like atomic sweat or something i, I just turned strings black within a week I just destroy them but uh when they're bright they're fine so i usually i usually have like 20 packs of those just for recording if i need them on electric but
1: wow yeah um <laughs> i it's interesting, you know, in looking through all the, the videos on your website and everything else, you don't really have much up of your electric guitar playing. It's almost all acoustic.
2: Yeah, the I was an electric guitar player exclusively for about 20 years until I played a Waterloo, uh, a WL-14, um, and I really, really liked what that guitar sounded like, and that sort of bridged me into uh, playing Callings and getting involved with working with those guys. And uh, as soon as I started playing that, I was just like, man, I just want to do this all the time. Uh, there, there's something about for me, uh, I still play a lot of electric, but it's all at this point, it's, it's all Sidemen and, uh, studio recording stuff. So I I play a lot of electric, but, uh, all of the examples of that are, are on like other records I've played on pretty much um there is one the first solo guitar record i made uh for destiny records in 2017 it was made on um the tiny island guitar electric um so i do have one uh, i don't think there's any i didn't get any video of of that album because i was just getting started but um that one was on electric and other than that all of my original music is on acoustic okay
0: um, how do they uh how do we find your music
2: on uh, your at, website yeah, at charlierow.com, there's a music page, uh, and I keep it updated when I release new things. Great. Um, and then I also have a production page on there where there's uh, mostly stuff. I do mastering, too, so there's some stuff that I've worked on from other artists on there, too. But, um, yeah, on my page, I, I try to focus... Uh, I, 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 I kind of go back and forth about this, but uh, I, I try to just focus on one thing, it's like the music that I make and not I, I don't want the website to get like too crazy with a bunch of different 20 different artists on it or something like so on there. That's why there's mostly acoustic because I'm like, well, you know, this is the music I write. Uh, and, and I feel like that's what I what I am most invested in trying to get out there personally. So I try to just focus on that instead of making it sort of a like a Denny sampler platter or something. <laughs> Even though I love Denny's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that it, when, when I when I when I traveled a lot, that was my Denny's meal was two grilled cheese sandwiches from the kids menu with fruit. Uh, oh yeah! You, you, could get, you get two of them and fruit for five bucks. It was that, great. You know, and they were hot and they were. That's warm. a strong, I, order. Yeah, that a strong <laughs> order. Yeah, it was a strong order. was, you know, and, and the waitress, where's the kid? Um, in the car sleeping Yeah, he's you know? in the <laughs> car. sleeping in the car i'm just getting it for him when he'll wake up you know let's let him <laughs> yeah. just sleep okay let's not Ma- meanwhile <laughs> meanwhile she's hitting the
2: security button under the desk <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one time they did refuse to sell it to me <laughs> oh, i had man. to buy, this, I- I had, buy the same thing and it was like eleven dollars and i just went wow that's really that's a yeah i mean how are you going to turn that down yeah <laughs> how
2: are you going to offer that and then chastise somebody
0: yeah and <laughs> then beat somebody yeah. if, if they ask for it
1: um i always thought that that's how you told where you were as you looked at the denny's menu and if there were grits on it you figured you were in the south
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's pretty
2: solid yeah
0: well that would be it would be waffle house in the south so uh,
2: also love waffle house
0: yeah boy that's a that's a that's a musician's place for sure oh yeah (laughs) four o'clock in the morning um how did you how did you how did you meet eric at nam because i i the thing on your website with eric just blew me away when i listened to it i know that's done in his front room Um, oh yeah uh did you meet him at nam or because that's just it's a stunning piece of music
2: yeah, yeah. I, I met him personally at Nam. I had been following Eric for a long time. So the first time I went to Nam was 2019. Uh before that I had never been, but I went out there with collings that time. Um because I, I started working with them in uh 2018. Uh so when I went in nineteen to Nam, uh we were right next to the Santa Cruz booth and uh, you know, I went out there at the same time Lisa did, um, cause she and I uh, both play in Cornelius' group here and we've been friends for a long time and around the same time i started working with santa cruz she started working with santa cruz uh and conveniently both of those booths are like right next to each other uh like every year so you know i was going over to say hi to her and she was like playing uh you know doing some demonstrations and stuff and uh i was looking around because there's a a couple i I was following jamie and eric just because i love their music um but that was when i met both of them personally yeah and, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, I, I liked their music and uh, I met them and I, I just tried to stay in touch with them because I'd already been following them. But then I had, you know, some rapport with them. So then uh, I was out in Portland. Um, Eric and I were going to do a show, but the show actually fell through. Uh, and I just went anyway because I wanted to go to Portland. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I actually uh, just was for the beer. really. Yeah, that was a really fun trip because, like, I went out there anyway, even though I didn't have anything set up, but I, I tried something that I've been meaning. This was also in 2019, the end of 19 October, I think. I've been meaning to do this and like, try this again sometime, actually. I didn't have a gig, but I already had the plane taken. I was like, well, I want to go out anyway. I'm sure, like, you know, like I told Eric, I was like, let's just meet up and hang. So that's when we made that video. Um, And uh, I went out there, but before I did, I emailed, like, a dozen bookstores because i know there's a lot of bookstores around portland powell's yeah and i yeah yeah powell's is awesome uh, Whoa. But, I, but i emailed uh, all the tiny like little ones i was just like hey i'm gonna be in portland and i'm a, a solo guitarist can i play in your bookstore like is that cool and they're in a few of them were like yeah sure so i put on these like Random shows in three different bookstores, and I met a bunch of cool people doing it. So I i would just sit in a corner and play my solo guitar stuff, uh, and just like talk to the people that came by, and it was a lot of fun. And then I went over and made that video with Eric, and then I went home. It was a pretty fun trip. <laughs>
0: that's,
2: that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: well, I'm about done. I'm,
1: uh, go ahead. I was gonna say, you're gonna ask him the, uh, the, uh, um, what album are you going to take on to the Desert Island question? Wait, yeah. I'm sorry. What, what was that? One more time? <laughs> we we're going to say, we always ask, you know, what album would you take to a Desert Island? Oh, uh, without a doubt,
2: uh, I Am As You Are Part One by Sol B.
0: Really? Wow. Yeah. I've never uh, heard that. I've never heard that said before as, as, as the Desert Island record.
2: Uh, yeah Are, are you familiar with her at all
0: a little bit yeah
2: she's uh I've been a huge fan of hers uh since I was in my late teens early 20s and uh I love her first record um and and for a while that's all there was and then she came out with I remember I think it was when was it maybe 2015 I think I think it was 2015 she came out with um an EP of three songs that I really, really loved, and and I was obsessed with that. Then in 2020, uh, during the pandemic, she released, uh, finally released a second album, and it had all three of those songs from the EP. But it's just to me, it's absolute perfection. It's wow. probably my favorite record I've ever heard. Yeah.
1: Well, it's going on my list. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Charlie, you, uh, um, people can get in touch with you through your website.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. It goes and straight to my email. Yeah.
0: If they uh, um, are looking for production or mastering, I know my wife was a mastering, uh, started her career
1: as mastering and oh, it's, cool. it's, a, it's a, it's a cool thing. Yeah. Um, or even if they just have a small bookstore. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Send them over here. <laughs>
1: uh, thank you so much. You've been really
0: gracious with your time and, and uh You've given me some really great stuff to think about.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah, Thanks a lot for asking me.
0: You bet. Oh. We, we, we're, 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 we we're, we're honored to get you and we can only see that it's just going to be harder and harder to get you later because you're going to be busier and busier and busier. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm just uh, following him on Facebook folks. Yeah. Um, we'll post those links on the, on the uh, page, and uh, five o'clock in New York.
1: There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, have, have a great have a great afternoon, Charlie. Thank you so much for being here. Uh,
2: thank, thank you, you Thanks again. Thank yeah. you so much.
0: Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.